Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. You know, it's really interesting the things we remember our fathers saying growing up. See if uh, one or two of these might be something you remember your dad saying, or if you're a dad, your kids may be hearing you say these kind of things. How about when dad falls asleep in the recliner and begins to snore, and one of the kids says, dad's asleep again, and he says something like, I'm not asleep, I'm just resting my eyes. Or how about when you're on a trip with the family and you hear dad say things like, no, we're not there yet. Or I remember way back in the day when my four older kids were young and we'd go on a trip and we put them in the back of a station wagon. Anybody remember station wagons? And they're back there fighting like crazy and I would always say, don't make me stop this car as if I was going to stop on the side of the road and beat them. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. But it's always interesting to remember things that our dads say. But one of the most famous fathers in Scripture, Joseph, we have no recorded words from his lips. You, you may never have thought about that. I searched the pages of the New Testament. There, there's no quote of Joseph anywhere even though we assume there is because we imagine the conversations that he had. We imagine the conversation that he had with Mary, especially the one where she tells him that she's expecting a child. Or the conversation that uh, he had with the innkeeper that night when they were told there's no place inside the inn for them, they could go to the stable if they wished are conversations that he would have had with young Jesus as he would teach Jesus about building, about carpentry, his trade, or talk with him about the things that were important with being a man in the first century Jewish life. And yet there are no recorded conversations, no quotes from Joseph. Uh, it's, it's very interesting that in this story, the greatest story ever told that we've been unfolding through these weeks, that in this story, Joseph and, and Mary play vital roles, and yet we'll find as we work our way through the story, Joseph simply disappears from the story at one point. And that may be because scholars believe that Joseph was older than Mary, maybe significantly, perhaps as much as a decade, because that was not uncommon in their culture of arranged marriages, that the, the bride would be much younger. We, we said in our message about Mary, she was likely a teenager, somewhere between 13 and 15 years old perhaps, and Joseph was older. And so perhaps he died from a disease or an accident. We, we just don't know. But though we never hear Joseph speak, if we look at the snapshots of his life that we do have in Scripture, we see evidence of a man of great character and faithfulness to God. And we see the impact that he had on Jesus and because of his impact on Jesus, the impact that he has on those of us who are Christ followers. Because of the man 
that he was. So that's what we're going to look at today. And here's, here's kind of my general application for Joseph's story for us today. And it's this, the impact of a godly man lasts long after his earthly life, long after he has departed from this earth. So let's look at the few snapshots that we have of the life and legacy of Joseph from the gospel accounts of Matthew and Luke. Here's the first thing that jumps off the page of Scripture to me about Joseph. Joseph was a kind and caring man. Look at this passage, I think you'll agree. Matthew 1, beginning with verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now let's, let's unpack this a little bit. It says, Mary, who was engaged to be married to Joseph. And we said, when, when we looked at the life of Mary, engagement in the first century Jewish culture was much different than it is in our culture today. Today, it's an agreement, an informal agreement, really, between two individuals, a man and a woman. But in that time, it was called the betrothal. It was arranged by the two families, and it had a a legally binding dimension to it. In fact, it couldn't be broken, even before the wedding, it couldn't be broken without a decree of divorce. So it was much more binding, much more formal. And and the the young bride-to-be and the groom-to-be were both, both morally and religiously obligated to remain chaste until the wedding night, that, that they would not be intimate with each other and certainly not with anybody else. And yet, Mary comes to Joseph with the news that she's pregnant. This is not what he expected. Mary and Joseph were entering into this, this betrothal period, looking forward to a wedding, expecting a normal Jewish family life. That they would have the wedding celebration, uh, that they would begin their life together. Joseph would develop his trade. He was a carpenter. He would be able to support his family because they would have children, and they would live a normal, tranquil, stable life. But the news that she was pregnant before the wedding changed everything. Now, now think about how Joseph would have reacted or how he would have received this news. And we don't know for sure, but maybe Mary was already showing evidences of pregnancy. Maybe she was having morning sickness already. And then she tells Joseph this story that, yes, indeed, she's expecting a child, but she is still a virgin, and an angel visited her and said that this child would be the Son of God. I can't imagine. Joseph knows none of this story, okay? He hadn't read the New Testament. There was no New Testament yet. I can't imagine how his mind would have received this message, this meek, young 
sweet fiance of his was the last person on earth he would have expected that this would happen. There's no doubt in my mind he was crushed. He was disillusioned. He was confused. This godly young woman that he thought he knew had been adulterous. And then beyond that, she must be delusional to to tell him this story, or worse yet, deceptive and manipulative. Joseph's mind and emotions were in a, a whirlwind. What would he do? Well, I tell you one thing I might have done and you might have done is reacted in anger. He, he might have yelled at her, how could you disgrace me like this and then insult me with this wild, crazy story? But he didn't do that. The verse, and, and you've heard it before, but don't miss this. The verse says he was a righteous man. He was a godly man. And I believe that means he was a kind and caring man. He was not a, a prideful, egocentric, self-centered man that had to make it all about himself, which was very common in a masculine-dominated culture. And yet he didn't make it about himself. He didn't make it about his reputation or his future. He was concerned even after this unbelievable story. He was concerned first about Mary. Though he himself was overwhelmed with pain and confusion. But then something happened that changed everything. And here's what this next little snapshot tells me. Joseph was a man of great courage and of great faith. Continue the narrative beginning in verse 20. As he considered this, don't forget that phrase, we'll come back to it. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the message through his prophet, and then this quote from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Now I want to go back to that first phrase in, in the first verse of, of this passage that I read. As he, Joseph, as he considered this. Now here's what that tells me that Joseph didn't react hastily, that Joseph didn't explode in emotion, that even though he was overwhelmed with pain and confusion, he didn't make a wrong decision and say words or take actions he would later regret in haste. Instead, he took time to think 
and to pray before he spoke or before he acted. Men, this ought to say something to us. Sometimes we are so tempted to open our mouth and speak and sometimes to our, our spouse say words we later wish we could take back or to a business relationship or to a friend or to whomever it might be in life. So many times we speak before we think and certainly before we pray. Joseph didn't do that. He took time to consider and to pray to say, God, what? What is happening here? What am I to do? And because of that, he had the unique privilege of caring for the mother of the Son of God and caring for the unborn baby within her that would become the Son of God. And his faithfulness and courage didn't stop there. Here's what we see in the next snapshot, that Joseph would do whatever was needed to protect his family. A dramatic scene here in Matthew chapter 2. We're skipping forward. I'll show you in a minute about two years in the story. Matthew 2, beginning with verse 13. This is just after the wise men have visited Mary and Joseph and young Jesus. Matthew 2, 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, you've heard this story many times, I'm sure, and maybe you've just kind of skipped over this part of the story quickly, but, but let me set the theological context for what was happening at this point. There was ultimate spiritual warfare going on in the heavenlies at this point because the heavenly Father had enacted his plan of redemption so that sinful people like you and me could believe in his son who would sacrifice his life, his sinless life, on the cross and by putting our faith in him, have our sins forgiven, we, we would be cleansed by the power of the sacrifice of Christ and by grace through faith be able to live as an adopted child of God. Praise God. That is God's plan. That plan was in motion. It was not yet completed and culminated by his sacrifice on the cross, but it was in motion. And Satan did not want that plan to be fulfilled. He did not want it to be completed. And so he and all of the demonic forces that we cannot see but are just as real as we are, they were at war with one another. And on earth, Herod, the king, was a pawn in the hand of Satan, and Satan was using him to try to enact a plan to kill the child Jesus so that he might never complete his sinless life and become the sacrifice for your sin and mine, the Lamb of God. And so this warfare is going on. And though God could have sent, now think about this, though God could have sent a legion of angels to surround young Jesus 
and protect him from any earthly or demonic forces. He instead, think about it, he entrusted the safety of Jesus as well as his mother to Joseph. And he sends an angel again in a dream and tells him, quick, take the child, take his mother, and run for your lives. Run to Egypt and hide there because Herod is going to enact a plan to seek to kill young Jesus. So pick up the narrative now in verse 14. That night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. Scholars believe that this was a period of a few months or perhaps as much as a year or more. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet again. Quote, I called my son out of Egypt, end quote. Verse 16, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. You see, when the wise men came to him looking for young Jesus, he said, I don't know where he is, but when you find him, come back and tell me where he is. I want to go worship him. When in fact, he didn't want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. And so Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report, of the star's first appearance. Some of you may, as we do, have nativity scenes that have the wise men at the stable. Have you seen that? Makes a nice scene, but it's not biblically and historically accurate. The wise men did not come until approximately two years later. Uh, and there's also linguistic evidence of that because the Greek term that is used here, translated in English child to describe Jesus, is a different Greek term than the one that was used in the story of Jesus' birth that's translated baby. That first term, translated baby, describes a newborn. The second term used here, translated child, describes an infant. And since Herod was seeking to kill all the boys two years old and younger, it's just simple logic to assume that Jesus was about two years old at this point. And somehow, Joseph, still far from home, had been able to provide for them. And now he has to uproot them and flee for their lives to Egypt and somehow start all over, finding a place to live, finding a way to provide an income. God didn't drop manna from heaven. It all fell to Joseph. And that courageous, faithful man took care of the Son of God and his mother and the Savior. He was eminently responsible. You know why I think this is so powerful in our culture? We live in a culture where far too many birth fathers don't take responsibility for children they were involved in bringing into this world. 
And, and I could go on and on about that, but we all know it's true, and it's not just here. When we visited Honduras a few years ago to visit, visit our Compassion children, the Compassion sponsors told us that that was epidemic and still is in the nation of, of Honduras. And my own Compassion child does not know his own father who has taken no responsibility for his support. Listen, Joseph, at the, the very first hearing of the news that Mary was pregnant, could have walked away. But he didn't. Not only was he with Mary in the birth of Jesus, but he was responsible for protecting him from a murderous, fanatical king and his soldiers. Well, there's just one more snapshot that I, I want to show you. And to me, this is maybe the most powerful of them all. Here's what I learned from the story that we're about to see. Joseph taught his family the importance of faithfully worshiping God, what you came here today to do, faithfully worshiping God. Go with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to jump ahead again in the story. The first time we jumped ahead two years, now we're going to jump ahead a decade further, and we're going to see Joseph with Jesus. Here we go, Luke 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Now, I want to stop here and, and, and make my point. It says every year this was a part of their family culture. There was an annual observance of Passover in the Jewish faith, and, and they would, the pilgrims would go from all the different villages and towns, and they would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, to worship God and remember how God had delivered them from Egypt many centuries before. And this was a part of the family culture of Joseph and Mary. And I have no doubt that not only was that true, but a regular time of worship weekly at the temple was a part of their family culture. And I also am confident that Joseph not only took his family to worship, I believe he taught his children, and Jesus had several siblings by this time. He taught his children about Yahweh God and how he was faithful and worthy of worship. It was a part, every family has a culture, and this was a part of their family culture. And here's my point of application for us today. It is important, especially for fathers that are present in the family and in the home, to establish worship of Almighty God as a part, a priority part of your family culture. And can I just say, one of the things that saddens me about the pandemic, and certainly all of the medical issues and the people who become ill, and I did a, a funeral this Friday of one of our church members uh, who was a, a wonderful man, and he died from COVID. I hate all that. I hate the death that comes from that. But what I hate, I think, even more than that, is that many, follow me and get mad if you want to, but many of God's people who were once faithful in worship have gotten real comfortable with not being regular in worship anymore. And you can worship in person or worship online, if you're still worried about being in crowds and you worship online, 
that's still worship. But a lot of God's people have gotten comfortable doing other things on the Lord's Day. And I'm going to go a little bit further than that and maybe make some more people mad. I do that a lot here, don't I? It is the father's responsibility, though the mother may be deeply spiritual and faithful, it is the father's responsibility as the spiritual leader, if you are a Christ follower, to set the priority of loving the Lord in your home and in your family. And if you regularly, I'm not talking about an occasional Sunday way to go deer hunting or to the beach, we all need time away, I'm not talking about that. But if you regularly make other things more important than the worship of God, you are teaching your family the wrong priorities if you're a Christ follower. And I'm, thank you for the two claps. I appreciate that. (laughs) But what I'm trying to say is, children learn from their parents, and fathers are to be the spiritual leaders. And it's not just what you say, it's what you do. We don't have anything recorded that Joseph said, but it's what he did. And, and let me tell you something about God. Our God is a loving God, a merciful God, a forgiving God. All of those things are absolutely true, but our God is a jealous God. And the old King James says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And it's wrong to put anything else in the place of God. I'm not talking about occasional times away. Those are needed and helpful. But I'm talking about what is the regular default priority of your family on the Lord's Day. For Joseph's family, the Sabbath was meant for worship. Well, all that, and they, we, we left them in Jerusalem. They'd gone to celebrate the Passover. Pick up the narrative, verse 43. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. And I'll talk about how that happened in a minute. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening... They started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, now some people read this in our 21st century Western culture, and they go, wait a minute, somebody should have called CPS. You know, but let me explain how things happen. When, when believers from a town or city went to Jerusalem together, and it was a multi-day walk, journey, they would travel together in a group. And the kids would hang out with the kids, and the adults would hang out with the adults, teenagers with their their peers. That's just the way it happened. So they, they went to Jerusalem, they had the worship, and then they all start home together. Uh, it, was, it was kind of a herd mentality. It was part of their culture. It was not abnormal or wrong. It, it reminded me of the years in when in which all of our grandkids could come to our home around Christmas time. At that time, we had 19 grandkids. And so when they all got there, uh, unless it was time to eat, they're out in the woods. We've got a couple of acres, and we're surrounded by wooded areas, and they they thought they were in the National Forest. You know, they're looking for bears and all that kind of stuff because they were all real little. So we just let them go. 
And we'd call them in when it was time to eat and count them, you know, 18, 19, okay, let's eat. You know, it, it, that's just how it worked. Well, that's kind of how it was when they were returning from Passover celebration. They all just as a big group headed home, and then each evening the families would gather, they'd share the meal, they would camp for the night. And that first evening after they traveled all day long, that was the first time they realized Jesus is not with us. And so pick up the narrative again. Verse 45, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem. Now another day's journey returning. They went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Now before I go on, here's what I want you to, to understand and feel this emotion. Between verse 45 and verse 46, there are three frantic days of searching for a missing child by two desperate parents who love their child and are responsible people. And so after three days, they finally, and I, I have to wonder if, if this just occurred to Mary, where he might be. They return to the temple, and they find him. Verse 46. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. Picture this. Sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Not asking questions because he didn't understand things. Asking them questions why they believed that when he knew the full truth. Verse 47. All who heard him were amazed. Twelve-year-old boy were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now picture the scene. His parents didn't know what to think. Sure, surely filled with emotions, Mary spoke. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. If you've ever had one of your children go missing temporarily and you frantically search for them, you understand what was happening in that moment. First of all, there's enormous relief that swept over them that they found Jesus and he was safe. And then there had to be anger, right? You know, you want to hug them first and spank them second. But look what Jesus said because he had returned to the place that had been designed to worship him. Verse 49, but why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. They hadn't read the New Testament they were just beginning to understand how the greatest story ever told was unfolding in the life of their son. Verse 51, Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And before I read this last verse, I want to say that I believe it was in no small part due to the faithfulness of a carpenter from Nazareth that verse 52 was true. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature 
and in favor with God and all the people. Now what does all this about Joseph mean to us? I want to give you three quick uh, challenges and then, then we're, we're done except for our prayer time. Number one, if you've had a godly man in your life and he's still living, how about this Christmas season you tell him how much he means to you? Because it's hard to measure, in fact you really can't, the impact of the life of a godly man on those who know him best. Here's the second one, it's similar. If you have had such a godly man in your life and he is no longer here with you this Christmas, don't dwell on your loss as much as you give God thanks for what he meant while he was here. And can I promise you, if he was a Christ follower and he's in heaven, he knows how much he meant to you. So give God thanks for who he was in your life. And the third and final challenge is for the men, especially the fathers and the fathers to be here. If you're a man, ask God to help you be a godly man, a godly man of kindness, a godly man of courage, a godly man of faith like Joseph was. Because, friends, the impact of a godly man lasts long after his earthly life. We conclude our service with a time of prayer and invitation. If you'd like to take a step in your faith journey, come to one of these prayer partners and just simply say, I need to take the next step. If you need to pray with someone, people will be here, these prayer partners to pray with you. And if you have a, a need of God's healing mercy in your life, come and I would be honored to anoint you and Cindy and I will pray that God would heal you. Would you stand and pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the godly men that you have placed in our lives that inspire us. Thank you for the role model and the inspiration that Joseph and his faithful life has been for us. Help us to be, those of us who are men, help us to be men of faith, courage, and kindness, as Joseph was. Pray for this time of prayer and invitation. Move on the hearts that you desire to speak to. In Jesus' name.